All right, get the recording started. There we go. All right, so we are continuing this morning our series on the Ten Commandments. And last week we had made a transition, right? We made a transition between the commandments that specifically have to do with how we love and worship God into now the commandments that have more to do with how we love and treat each other. So how we love God through how we treat each other is essentially the transition we made. And that transition begins with the fifth commandment, which is found in Exodus chapter 20. And you can turn there if you'd like. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And the commandment is this. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And we started looking at this commandment last week. And we did a couple of things. The first thing we did was we we sort of broke down the verse. Right? We looked at the words, honor your father and your mother. And you remember, if you were here, and if you uh, have a good memory, you'll remember that I had pointed out the word honor there in the commandment. It says to honor your father and mother. That word honor in the Hebrew literally means to make heavy. Right? You remember that? And to make heavy, that expression comes from the fact that ancient people when they would honor somebody, particularly a king or royalty or someone like that, they would literally adorn this person with gold and silver and jewels and that sort of thing, making them physically heavy. And that was a sign of honor because that was a sign that says that that person who was giving the gold and the silver to this king was pledging their obedience and their allegiance and their respect and their praise to this person. And so the expression make heavy came from that. And so that's what we're seeing here in this passage. Make heavy your father and mother. In other words, adorn them with your respect and your praise and your obedience and your allegiance. That's the command here. And then we also looked at the fact that father and mother uh, is not just talking about father and mother. Right? In other words, this commandment doesn't just apply to children. It's not only about children respecting parents or obeying the commands of a parent or something. But there's a bigger principle behind the commandment, and that is that father and mother are standing in for anyone in authority over you. So the principle the commandment is teaching is honor anyone in authority over you. You remember how we talked about that last week? And that is what the commandment is teaching. And so then what we did, which is I reproduced our chart that we had drawn up last week together. And this chart here comes essentially from the Westminster Larger Catechism. But the chart's not there. But the teaching behind the chart is there. And what the catechism does is it divides these authorities that we're supposed to honor into three different categories, right? The family, the church, and society. And then it identifies different kinds of relationships that we have within those spheres. So these are the different kinds of relationships where we find ourselves as the inferior in authority, where we find ourselves as the superior in authority, and where we find ourselves as equals. Because you remember, all of us are all three of these at the same time, but in different relationships. Right? I might be a parent. If I'm a parent, then I find myself in the superior category in relation to my child. But if I'm a citizen, then I find myself at the same time as an inferior in authority with relation to the government. So. The Catechism really does a good job, I think, of breaking these things down. And then what we did last week after we looked at the 
commandment itself in Exodus 20 is we sort of took a look at this relationship, say, for example, between a child and a parent, and we said, what does it mean in a very practical, applicable sense to honor a parent if you're a child or to honor the government if you're a citizen? Or if you're a parent, how do you then treat the child? What's, what's the implicit things that a, a parent is supposed to do to a child in this commandment? And so we looked then last week at the, the positive things about the fifth commandment, the positive injunctions, the things we're encouraged to do, what we're supposed to do. And now what we're going to do this week is we're going to do a couple of things. Firstly, this week, we're going to look at the negative injunctions of the fifth commandment. The negative injunctions. So what is the commandment forbidding? So it's the opposite of last week. Last week we were looking at what it encouraged. This week we're looking at what it forbids. And then, after that, I want to look at what I'm going to call a special issue with the commandment. Because when we study these commandments, and we'll find more of these special issues as we continue, sometimes you find yourself in maybe a difficult ethical situation where it can seem tricky on how to apply the commandment in the situation. So, for example, if we're studying the the, uh, Ninth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, well... What if you are in World War II and a Nazi shows up at the door and wants to know if you're hiding Jews in the attic and you are hiding Jews in the attic? Do you bear false witness then? Do you not? You see how that's a special issue with how you apply the commandment in the situation? That's what I'm calling special issues. Okay, And every commandment is going to have some. And so we're going to look at one of those special issues that relates to the fifth commandment this morning after we get done with the negative uh, commands, what the commandment forbids. Whoops. Um, and then we're going to look at the promise, the promise that's in this commandment. It's one of the only, com- it's, I think it's the only commandment that has a promise attached to it. And then we'll end on that promise. Okay. Well, that was a long introduction, longer introduction than I normally do, but I think it's good to do a little bit of review and then talk about what we're going to do. So let's look at the things that this commandment forbids, the things that the fifth commandment forbids when it says to honor father and mother to honor anyone in authority over us. And we're going to look first at this section over here, these relationships. If we are the inferior, what is the commandment forbidding us from doing in this position? So if we're the child, if we're the wife, if we're the church member, if we're the citizen, if we're the employee, what are we forbidden to do? Uh, The catechism gives us a couple different things. Number one, Neglecting duties required of us by our superiors. So if we are commanded to honor our superiors and we neglect duties that are required of us by our superiors, we are not honoring them, right? And so that would be forbidden in this commandment. We need to do the things that our superiors require of us. If we find ourselves in the business world and we're an employee and our authority, the CEO, gives us a duty and it's not an unlawful duty or some duty that God forbids or something then we're required to do it same thing if we are the citizen and the government requires us to do something and it's not against God's law or something and we're required to do it and Frank (laughs) I can think of numerous examples where I haven't done my duties and I think we can probably all think of examples like that 
where we fall short of that. Uh, number two, envy, contempt against superiors. Envy or contempt against superiors. That's all too easy to do too, isn't it? Uh, I can think of examples where I've envied the, the authority of some other person. I wanted that authority for myself. I'm envying that person's position. Or I, in envying, can develop contempt for that person and harbor that contempt in my heart. I don't know if you've done that before. I imagine all of us have at times. But that is forbidden in this command because when we do that, when we harbor envy, when we harbor contempt, that's not honoring. That's not pledging allegiance. That's not pledging respect. That is not giving praise. That is forbidden in the commandment. And then thirdly, cursing or mocking that brings shame on superiors, both to themselves and to their government. So this has to do with, in the idea of honoring, the positive command is to praise those in authority, to compliment them, to tell them that they're doing a good job. Right? We don't speak poorly of them. We speak well of them. And then the opposite of that, then, if that's true, what's forbidden? Well, we don't speak badly about them. You know, we don't slander them. We don't mock them. That's not honoring. And, we, I mean, we could come up with a bunch of examples about how that applies in these relationships, but one of the most glaring ones that I've seen is when it relates to citizens in the government. Because government officials, probably out of anybody in the world, really, gets the most mocking and slander and cursing out of anybody else, any other kind of authoritative figure, other than maybe Jesus. And we should not be involved in that as Christians, and just frankly, because that's forbidden in this commandment. We're to honor our authorities. We're not to speak poorly of them. I don't care who's president. At what time we don't speak poorly of him. All right? Um, so no cursing or mocking that brings shame on superiors, both to themselves, that is to their own person, to them as an individual, or brings shame to their government. That's so the, the, the mouth is a powerful thing, isn't it? The tongue is a small organ of the body, but it can do a lot of damage. And it can do damage to people individually, and it can do damage to people in the work that they do. And so if we're honoring our authorities, we don't do that. Okay, so that's just some, some really good examples, I think, of what, what we are to do, or what, sorry, what we are forbidden to do when we are the inferior in authority. Okay, now, the Catechism also gives us a lot of really good practical examples of what not to do when we find ourselves in the superior position, superior in authority. So for the parents, the husband, the older uh, family member, the elder of a church, if we're in government, if we're a business leader, doesn't have to be a CEO. It could be anybody in authority in business. What are we forbidden to do in those situations? Uh, number one, inordinate seeking for ourselves our own glory, ease, profit, or pleasure. Now, notice it says, the catechism, I love the word that it adds here. It says inordinate seeking. Inordinate meaning out of order. It's not saying that seeking profit or pleasure in this life is somehow evil. It's saying inordinate, out of order seeking. When it becomes your all-consuming passion, when it's like what you live for, that's when it becomes a problem. Because what happens is, 
for many of us, when we find ourselves in an authority position, our human nature wants to use that authority and that power to accumulate glory for ourselves, to accumulate wealth for ourselves, to accumulate ease and profit and pleasure. And that is not what we are called to do when we find ourselves a superior in authority. Um, business world happens all the time, doesn't it? Not everybody, of course. There's lots of good businessmen, but it happens all the time here. It happens all the time in government. Gets hungry for power, abuses the authority. Husbands can abuse their authority and treat their wives very, very poorly. It happens all the time in history and in the modern day. Gotta guard against this. That's forbidden for superiors. Number two, commanding things that are unlawful or not within the power of inferiors. All right. So if the government, as a superior, is commanding the citizens, their inferiors, to do something unlawful. And in this case, I think the catechism is thinking unlawful in God's eyes, something against God's law, then that is wrong for the government. The government is sinning at that point. If the parents, the husband, the older, whatever, the elder of a church is commanding the inferiors to do something against God's law, that is sin. And they are not to do that. God's authority that he gives to superiors does not entitle the superiors to act outside of what God has commanded them to do too. Uh, Three, counseling, encouraging, or favoring inferiors toward evil. This is, I mean, this is why uh, James, the Apostle James says that teachers will be judged with a higher standard. And that's because teachers have an incredible authority to steer people into evil. Um, Anyone in authority government, business leaders, elders of a church, pastor of a church, uh, husbands, parents, all of those people can steer the people who are honoring them into evil so easily. And they're forbidden from doing that in this commandment. Counseling, encouraging, or favoring inferiors toward evil. It happens a lot. Uh, Five, or sorry, four, leaving inferiors to wrong, temptation, and danger. And this kind of goes hand in hand with the other one. Because people in authority in in biblical terms are seen, all of them are seen as pastors. Now, when I say pastor, I I don't necessarily mean the technical church office of pastor. I'm talking about just the Latin word pastor. It means shepherd. And all authority figures in the Bible are seen as shepherds. Kings are seen as shepherds. Government leaders are seen as shepherds. And that's because... People in authority have a responsibility before God to guard their flock, to keep them safe from spiritual and physical harm, and not to leave them to wrong or temptation or danger. They're not to leave it like they, they need to maintain their authority over them in this in a good sense. That's something we talked about last week, right? We don't have, if we're given authority by God, we don't abandon the authority. We don't run away from it. We don't hide among the baggage like Saul did. We need to embrace the authority and use it the way God wants us to. And he wants us as authority figures to be shepherds of our flock, however big or small it may be. Uh, And then the last one here. Uh, Superiors are forbidden from dishonoring themselves in any way. 
by bad behavior, thereby lessening their own authority. This goes with what we talked about last week on the positive side, and what I just said a moment ago, that authority figures should not run from their authority, because it's given to them by God, and they're to use it well. But one of the worst things that a leader can do, in, whether in the business world, or in the church, or in the family, or anything, is to dishonor himself by sinning previously, and causing himself to lose that honor that God gave to him and that God commands his inferiors to give to him. It happens a lot, doesn't it? It, It's not a a weird thing to hear about church leaders who you suddenly find out, oh, they were involved in a crazy amount of sin behind the scenes. This is a perfect example of what they're not supposed to do. They dishonored themselves by bad behavior and they lost their authority for that. It's a really sad situation. But that's what's forbidden in this commandment. Right? Don't dishonor ourselves. That's why for those of us in authority positions in, in any of these relationships, we need to guard ourselves with the word and pray that God keeps us safe so we don't dishonor ourselves. Okay, so that is a lot of good practical application if we find ourselves in this category in a particular relationship. And then just really quickly... We've also, uh, the catechism also identifies equal relationships, where there isn't a superior or inferior, you're both the same. And that would be a child to a child, that would be elder to elder, uh, member, church member to church member, citizen to citizen, employee to employee. There's no hierarchy there. They're the same. And these four applications the catechism gives I think are really good because they actually all tie together. So I'm just going to read them for you and then summarize them. Uh, Undervaluing worth, envying others' gifts, grieving at the advancement or prosperity of another, and four, usurping preeminence over one another. Now what you'll notice in all of these applications here is that I think the Westminster Divines recognize something really important about human nature and that is we don't like to be equals we envy people who have more power than we do and when we find ourselves in a situation where we are equals a church member to a church member or a child to a child or something we have by human nature a tendency to want to figure out how we can get power over the other person. And that's why the fourth, the fourth application point here is usurping preeminence over another. That is, trying to steal authority that's not yours, trying to create an authority for yourself that puts you in a position where you have authority over the other person when you're not supposed to. And this is really, really subtle. Okay. And I've got a lot of experience with someone who was incredibly good at doing this, and I didn't even realize they were doing this until years later. There was a woman in uh, my home church that was profoundly, uh, I don't want to say wise, because it was a bad kind of wise, uh, what do you call that, clever or shrewd or something, um, with her tongue. She was, you could call her the gossip queen. And she was so powerful with her words and her ability to convince people of things and to gain power through that, that she had the entire church 
afraid of her. The board of elders was afraid of her, and they would not do anything to upset her because she was so powerful. She could cause people to leave the church and to cause all kinds of problems. <laughs> all right? It's, it was a crazy situation, and that is a perfect example of an equal trying to gain preeminence and trying to gain authority that's not rightfully hers. And we don't want to do that, right? Because it's really, it's, again, it's shrewd. It can happen under the table. You don't know what's going on. Um, blackmail? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, uh, a citizen trying to gain preeminence over a government official with blackmail. So that would be, well, that wouldn't really be an equal situation. That would be a sin of the inferior, I guess. But yeah, it's kind of along the same lines there. So anyway, that's, those are the, uh, some really good, basic, practical ways that we can see what is forbidden of us when we find ourselves in each of these different categories. Right? Does that all make sense? Okay, good. Okay, now what I want to do is look at a special issue of this commandment. Right, we've looked at the positive injunctions. We've looked at the negative injunctions. Now we've got a special issue. And this actually came up last week prematurely, but that was good because you guys were thinking. And this question is one that's <laughs> rocked a lot of theological minds over the years, and there may even be different opinions in this room. But we want to address it because I don't like to skip over things that are important. And the question is this, is it ever right, or at least is it ever permissible, to disobey an authority? So, for example, when we're looking at this chart, is it ever permissible for a child to disobey a parent? Or is it ever permissible for a citizen to disobey the government? Or for a church member to disobey an elder or something like that, right? See, this can be sticky questions here. But we're asking the question, is it ever okay for that to happen? And to answer this question, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5? You remember that the... Acts of the Apostles, this book, is part two of the Gospel of Luke. I mean, it goes right hand in hand with the Gospel of Luke. And Acts is all about the foundation of the Christian church. The Apostles going out into the world, preaching the Gospel, thousands are being converted to Jesus. All kinds of great things are going on. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees aren't very happy about it. And they forbid the Apostles from preaching about Jesus. And so we pick up the story here in verse 27 of Acts chapter 5. And when they had brought the apostles, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, you all, I'm sure, are familiar about the fact that the Roman government was the governing authority over Israel at this time. And Rome didn't like to govern the people that they conquered very personally. They liked to have local people govern the nations that they conquered. And so one of the things that Rome did that was really shrewd is they allowed the Sadducees and the Pharisees to be the religious authorities in Israel, and especially in Jerusalem. And that's where the apostles are right now. So what, essentially what I'm saying is the Pharisees and the Sadducees are the superiors to the apostles in this historical context. The apostles 
are the inferiors, according to the government. And so these superiors, the Pharisees, command the apostles, saying, you shall not preach Christ here. And look at what Peter responds when he's confronted with this. Peter and the apostles answer, this is verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. And so it's very clear here that the Apostle Peter, as well as the rest of the apostles, recognized that there is a point in which a disobeying authority is not only permissible, but is in fact required. And he, and he does that when he says, we must obey God rather than men, because God is the higher authority. Now, what's that point? When is the point where we disobey an authority? And I think uh, John Calvin has a really good quote that I'm going to read for you here. This is from his Institutes. I love, you all, you all need to be excited when I read a Calvin quote, because he'll always say everything so much better than I ever possibly can. I love reading Calvin. But anyway, here's what Calvin says, and he's addressing this question, and he's addressing it in the context of the child and the parent. When is it okay for a child to disobey a parent and then by extension, any authority? But uh, here's what Calvin says, quote, for parents sit in that place to which they have been advanced by the Lord, who shares with them a part of his honor Therefore, the submission paid to them ought not to be a step toward honoring that highest father. Hence, if they spur us to transgress the law, we have a perfect right to regard them not as parents, but as strangers who are trying to lead us away from obedience to our true father. It is unworthy and absurd for their eminence so to prevail as to pull down the loftiness of God. On the contrary, their eminence depends upon God's loftiness and ought to lead us to it. Now, if you followed all of that, you'll recognize what a beautiful way that Calvin writes there. But here's what he's essentially saying. He's saying, children are to obey their parents, not because parents have an intrinsic authority, but because their authority is given to them by God. And the authority given to parents is given by God, and it has limitations. It has county lines, as the Dukes of Hazard would put it. And those county lines, if they are transgressed, if the boundaries of authority that God has given to an authority are gone over, if the authority acts outside of their jurisdiction, then they're not a legitimate authority anymore. The commands that they're giving are not legitimate commands that we ought to follow. And so Calvin says, when the parents transgress these boundaries, they cease to be parents. And actually they become strangers who are leading us away from our true parent. And you see a very clever way that he's writing there. But that's, that's the issue right there. When an authority figure, be it a parent, a husband, an elder, government, business leader, whoever it may be, when they issue a command that is outside of their jurisdiction. That is grounds for not only permissible disobedience, but required disobedience, particularly when that command is a violation of one of God's laws. Then you know for sure that it is outside their jurisdiction. 
And so if the government, say, for example, just to make this really practical, were to show up one day at Pearl Presbyterian Church and to require that Pastor Adam marry homosexuals if they come to him and ask to be married, and he can't refuse them, and that's somehow a new legislation. Is the government acting within its jurisdiction or outside of its jurisdiction? Outside. Thank you for answering. (laughs) Outside of its jurisdiction, right? Because they have transgressed a boundary that God has placed, that boundary being that homosexuality is an abomination, according to Leviticus, right? So they've transgressed a law of God. If they transgress the law of God, they're outside the county lines, they don't have the ability to do it, and we don't have to obey it. In fact, we have a duty then to not obey it and to change it, if at all possible. All right. Yes? But we do have to be willing to accept the consequences. Absolutely. We have to be willing to accept the consequences. Tell that to the... the law. Yep, that's right. And tell that to the Christians under Nero during his later years, right? They transgressed the law because Nero said, you are to worship me and you are to say there is no other God except Caesar. And they were required to uh, have a creed. Everybody in the Roman Empire had to have a creed. And it was Kaiser Ho Curios. Caesar is Lord. And the Christians said, "Uh, uh, uh, you're outside of your jurisdiction. We have a new creed. Jesus, Hokurios. Jesus is Lord. And they disobeyed the authority because the authority was outside. Do you have a question back there, Robert? Uh, just an illustration. Yeah. Like you're about, I have a very good friend who uh, went to Paris Island for boot camp, Marine Corps boot camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was in the early 60s. And that was a brutal environment. And those drill instructors got away with everything. Mm. beating on people just all kinds of stuff and one of the guys in his company screwed up somehow and the drill instructor beat him pretty good and somehow the word got back to his authorities that uh, what had happened and they were going to call him on the carpet so um, my my friend when he found out what was happening went to the DI in his office privately he said I will not lie for you I'll take the consequences, but I'm not going to lie for you. And you have no idea, if you haven't been there, what an unbelievably terrible thing that was for him to have to do. Those guys, they had what seemed like life and death control over everybody under them. He said, I won't lie for you. And as a result, two things came from that. One was they found something else for him to do that day, so he didn't have to testify. They found some stupid detail in moving him bucket of sand from here to there. <laughs> the other thing is they were apparently so impressed with him and the way he did other things that he was offered OCS right out of boot camp. Oh. He didn't take it, but it was offered to him. Mm. I think they realized, even those guys realized, this guy's got something special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's a good example. So, one other point that I want to make just along these lines is that we're talking, we're, I'm trying to uh, explain how this commandment applies in a certain ethical situation. Right? How does the commandment honor authorities apply in a situation where authority is against God's law? And what I want to assert for you, and you, you kind of already know this, but I'm going to say it anyway, the commandment does not apply. 
to an authority that is operating against God's command. So when we disobey the government, when they are doing some you know, unbiblical law or whoever else, we're not breaking the commandment. We're not taking an exception to the commandment. It simply doesn't apply in these situations. So that's a really important distinction that I think is good for us to recognize. We're not, we never break this commandment. We always follow it. But it simply doesn't apply to unbiblical authorities. And Peter and the apostles, I think, show us that really well in Acts 5. Okay, the last thing I want to do this morning, um, go back to Exodus 20, if you will. We want to look at that second part of the commandment. Uh, this is, again, verse 12 of Exodus 20. We see the first part, which says, Honor your father and your mother. And in my Bible, the ESV, comma. And then there's a whole other part of this commandment. A whole other chunk that sometimes is overlooked and forgotten. And I wanted to make sure we had time to look at this because it's so important. And good, we got a few minutes to look at it. Honor your father and your mother, comma, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now notice the word there that shows up after the comma, at least in the ESV. It says, honor your father and mother that your days. And you know what that's called in the Hebrew construction? It's called a result clause. And you know why it's called a result clause? Because it's a clause that tells a result. So, uh, grammar is really easy. It's not there yeah right. <laughs> yeah, right. So we've got a result clause here. It's telling us a result. What's going to happen if you honor your father and mother? Or, in other words, if you honor your authorities? Here's what happens. Your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, in the context of ancient Israel, this was a promise for a long life in the land of Canaan. Right? in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That's the land of Canaan, of course. But there's a principle behind this that the confession recognizes, or sorry, the confession, the catechism recognizes, and it applies it to our lives in the modern world like this. It says that this is a promise as far as it shall serve for God's glory and for our good that a long and prosperous life will be the result of following this commandment. Now, notice something really important here before we get deeper in this. Notice the catechism adds the phrase, insofar as it shall serve for God's glory and your good. So, in other words, if it's God's will. See, this is not a a perfect computer algorithm guarantee that you'll have a perfectly prosperous, happy life just because you follow a particular commandment. God can do something different if it's in his will. But as a general truth, right, as a proverb, if you will, something that does consistently apply from person to person, a long and prosperous life is the result of following this commandment. And why is that? Why is it that honoring your father and mother or honoring authorities brings a prosperous life? Well, just think about it in the context of these relationships. If a family is comprised of children who honor the parents obey them, respect them, praise them, and the parents treat the children the way that the catechism recognizes that they ought to in the implicit commands of this commandment, 
that leads to a long and prosperous family, doesn't it? God's kind of family. Look at the wife and the husband. If the wife honors the husband and the husband treats the wife the way that he's supposed to, guess what that leads to? A long and prosperous marriage. If, uh, skip that one, if the church member honors the elders and the deacons and the pastor and whoever else is in authority in the church, and the elders and the deacon and the pastor treat the church members the way they ought to be treated, a long and prosperous church is the result. If citizens honor the government, and the government treats the citizens the way they're supposed to and always operates within its jurisdiction, within its own boundaries that it's supposed to have, long and prosperous nation occurs. And same thing in the business world. You can fill in the blanks with any other relationship that you want to put up there on the board. The result of a life characterized by honoring authority, authority that God has placed over us, is a life that brings prosperity as a general principle. That's an amazing promise given to us right here in the commandment. We don't have another commandment that gives a promise like this. But what this commandment is doing, and it kicks off the whole set of commandments all about how we treat each other, it establishes for us God's hierarchy, if you will. The way that God wants us to relate to people with more authority, with less authority, or with equal authority. And when we relate to them the way that this commandment commands us to do, God's blessing comes. Again, this is not prosperity gospel, right? It says, if the, the catechism says, if it is God's will for this to happen, he can do something different as an exception if he wants to. But, nevertheless, we need to recognize there's a promise here. And we thank God for that promise. And that is the fifth commandment, my brief summary. So let's close in prayer here. I think we're done just a one minute early or so, but that'll make up for being a couple minutes late last week. So let's pray quick. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for this commandment. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have given us such clear direction on how you want us to relate to the different kinds of people in our lives, those in authority over us, those who we have authority over, and those who we are equal with. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be convicted of the areas in our lives where we haven't measured up to your standards. Lord, break us. As we see that we've broken this commandment in countless ways, maybe without even knowing it. And Lord, we ask that you do two things for us in light of our brokenness. One is that you draw us to your son, Jesus. That that brokenness would lead us to your cross and that we would see the beauty of the gospel and that we are not saved by how well we perform the fifth commandment but we're saved by how well your son performed the fifth commandment and how he took our punishment and we got his righteousness and we're justified and we praise you for that. And then, Lord, secondly, we pray that you would work in us out of a joyful response to your gospel the ability and the willingness to perform this commandment to the best of our ability. Lord, work in us and change us so that we would be more willing to be your holy servants to continue to listen to the prompting of your Holy Spirit as he continues to sanctify us. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen.